Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. from that to peace, but let's, uh, let's dig in. See, there's a premise in the Bible uh, that there's a difference between a morally restrained heart and a supernaturally changed heart. Make sense? There's a difference between a change that is based on willpower or human effort and a change based on the power of Holy Spirit. And so we're, we've moved into a, a series on the fruit of the Spirit, Right? That is the real power that comes. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's where we're at. And we're going to ask the question, how do we get more of this into our lives so that we can, through the Holy Spirit working in us and on us, more resemble the Son, Jesus? If you were here last week, you heard Jonathan speak on joy. It was a fantastic service. And as we often say up here, if you didn't have a chance to attend, go out to the podcast. That's one that I I definitely wouldn't miss if I were you. Today we talk about peace. And and if we're going to resemble Jesus, we got to understand some of the things that he did, right? He came to do three different things at least, right? At least three different things. Seek and save the lost. Offer life and life to its fullest, and destroy the devil and his works. All three of those have a direct impact on our peace, right? So we watch Jesus destroying the devil, the works, by healing people, by casting out demons, by calming storms and bringing order to chaos. That is what Jesus did, and what I would argue is that's what his followers will do too, As Holy Spirit lives in us, works in us, as we resemble more of Jesus, we will look like that as well. You see, peace inside always leads to peace outside, which is how Paul could sit in a prison cell and raise his hands and sing worship songs to the Lord. That's how he could write some of the most incredible, um, incredible, I'll get the clicker. Incredible words ever written. And we're going to look at some of those today in Philippians chapter 4. We don't do this all the time, but just for today, let's stand up as we read today's scripture. Follow along with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Again, remember this. Picture where he's writing this from. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Pause for a second. The Lord is near. And it's because of that that he can have the audacity to say the next thing. Verse 6, let's read. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Stay standing. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen? You can sit down. As we were in the prayer room uh, earlier, Jonathan pointed out this, put into practice, right? I'm a coach. There's no way we just show up into a game without putting things into practice, doing the repetition. He said one of the reasons why this is one of the most anxious, is the most anxious generation of all time, maybe, maybe because we're just making things up on the fly. We're not doing the things that our spiritual forefathers did. Clyde Poe, Willard Robel, Tom Dewey, those were the stalwarts of Eaton First Church of God. And they showed up every time the doors were open, three times a week. So, so what, what do I do now? I show up Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, not to be legalistic, not to check a box, not because I'm trying to get brownie points with the Lord, I'm doing it because it worked for those guys. And if it worked for them, and if it worked for Paul in a prison cell, and it just might work for me. So, last week was joy, and the opposite of that is, is sadness. Today is peace, and the opposite of that is anxiety. This debilitating worry. And Paul says, don't be anxious, but be filled with the peace of God. Don't be anxious, experience God's peace. I think it's important for us to understand the two can't coexist. One is going to drive out the other. Would you allow God's peace today to drive out anxiety? See, when the Holy Spirit comes, there's this inner calm. If we were to continue reading in verses 11 and 12, Paul will talk about that he's discovered, he's learned the secret to contentedness, this equilibrium, that he's got the same baseline, whether good things are happening or bad. There's this poise that comes with peace. And the world tries to teach us all kinds of different ways to get that, right? Substances, therapy, not saying, at least the second one's not a bad thing, right? But, but we, the world gives us a peace that is shaky ground. But there's this poise that Paul has in the midst of his circumstances where he's facing torture and imminent death. And he's in prison. He says, I've learned it. I've learned it. Which means that we can too if we'll do what he did. This is not about talent. It's not natural. This kind of peace is supernatural. Peace is a fruit, but it can develop, grow, and ripen. And so I think the question I want to ask today is, is there anything that we can do 
to help it ripen, to help it grow and mature. And I think the first thing is just proper expectations. This is just a free one. It's not really one of the main points. Just proper expectations. I've been in a few fender benders in my life. I've been in a, been fender benders in Indiana, Sierra Leone, Africa, New York City. All of them pretty different. Accident in Indiana, run into each other, not much. There's frustration. You're waiting around for a police officer to come, file a uh, police report. Then you trade insurance. Takes a while. Then it's the whole thing of getting the thing fixed and being without a car. Just a hassle, right? Africa. We go to Africa. The first time I was there, and everybody always told me the scariest part about any missionary duty is getting from place to place in a vehicle, and that was certainly true. End up, boom, get smoked by somebody else, and uh, all of a sudden, the driver, our driver, who's the most peaceful man in the world, gets out, and and uh, there's just this yelling match, and it was just the two of them at first. But, but pretty soon, literally the entire suburban was engulfed with people. Everybody yelling from every different side. I am sitting in there freaking out. The next time we, uh, actually it's two times later we went, same thing, another car accident. I'm in with a bunch of rookies who'd never been here before. I'm like, oh, this is nothing. What's going to happen? They're going to get out. Everybody's going to encircle uh, the, the, the Suburban. There's going to be a shouting match. It'll last 10 minutes. It'll get back in, and Hassan will say, hey, is everything okay? Everybody good? Okay, we go on. That's exactly what happened. New York City, riding in a cab from the airport to downtown, and boom, just get smoked in the rear. What do you think happened in New York City? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The guy, the taxi driver, didn't even move his hands off the steering wheel like this or like this or whatever else. No gesture. Just hands on the steering wheel, kept going. What's the difference? Expectations, right? In New York, they expect bumps and turmoil and conflict and inconvenience and just keep going. See, frustration or expectations are the filter in which we see the world. And I'm pretty convinced that much of the depression that we actually see in Christians is depression over our depression. We're sad that we're sad. We're surprised that we're surprised. We're upset about being upset. And if we weren't so upset about being upset, we wouldn't be so upset. Make sense? See, half of our anger, I think, frustration, stress, anxiety comes from us saying on the inside, this is just not how things ought to be. C.S. Lewis has a great analogy when he's talking about the power of expectations. He says, if you're shown a hotel room and you've been told that it's the honeymoon suite, your expectations are going to be high, right? If there's no plush carpet, if there's no king-size bed, if there's no spa, jacuzzi in there, and the little toilet thing that does its, does its deal, then you'll be disappointed, right? But, but on the other hand, if you've been told that uh, on the other side of the door is a jail cell, and you open the door, even the modest comforts you'll find delight in. See, I think as Christians, we've been taught to expect the honeymoon suite. When it comes to life. And, and then when we start to follow Jesus, we just assume that all of those problems go away and blessings abound. Then we walk through the doorway of life and we find out that 
on the faith journey, being on the faith journey doesn't exempt us from hardships and heartbreak. And the Bible prepares us for this, right? The story of God reminds us that his people were slaves for 400 years. We get impatient when God doesn't answer our prayer in a week or two weeks, five years, 14 years. 400 years, God's people enslaved. They finally get out, then what happens? Wander around a wilderness for 40 more years. Jesus himself faced the cross. The early church faced unimaginable persecution. We're never going to be free of stress, stress and challenge. Instead of seeing those things as negative, we've got to see those as opportunities. We've got to see it from a, a perspective of growth and maturity. That God uses those things in our life to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. See, when a soldier goes into battle, nothing is gained by lowering the expectation of conflict. That's not good for anybody. They're better served by being prepared for the battle. That's why Jesus and Paul are so honest with the people under their care. Jesus says to his people, in this world, you will have trouble. Paul spends a lot of his time equipping the church to deal with their anxiety in the midst of persecution. How? Back to Philippians 4. See, he equips the church at Philippi to reframe their perspective through praise, to cultivate gentleness through an awareness of God's presence, and to bring their anxiety before God with thanksgiving. See, Paul teaches that, that, uh, that peace is not just the absence of something. It's actually the presence of something. It says in verse 7, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard, it's a military term and it's a very visual one. It's the idea of, a, of an army circling a, a city to protect it. You go to bed at night and there's an army outside your house protecting you. You're going to sleep well. See, peace Peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of God. Amen? Peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of God. All other ground is sinking sand. Man, I've had the privilege to watch people walk through unimaginable situations and tragedy yet still have this peace that, that passes any kind of understanding. And instead of feeling vulnerable, these Christians in those moments felt protected. They're not oblivious to their circumstances. They're keenly aware. Yet they have this power to withstand the circumstances. I enjoy fly fishing. There's a place on the, on the lower Illinois that has a huge rock. And, you know, you get to see different parts of it based on the flow. You know, how much they're releasing from the lake or how much rain we've had. But what, what, what you, you always can see that rock, no matter how high it gets. And we hit near flood stage earlier this year, rushing water. And there are other times, just the last time I went out, barely a trickle. But what you notice about that rock 
it is unmoved, no matter what. Paul is facing an avalanche, this flow of negative circumstances, yet he's a stalwart, and he remains unmoved. So, are there things that we can learn from Paul in this passage that we can take? So, yes, peace is fruit, peace is a gift, and peace is also learned. I think we see that in this passage. So, what are the things that we can do on our behalf? Are there some disciplines? I think there are two. I think it comes down to thinking and thanking. Thinking and thanking. I'm sure Chase will make fun of me of this slide. He loves, he loves some of my very extravagant slides. This is a, this is a doozy here. But thinking. All too often when we go through difficult circumstances, we focus on things that we can't control. Amen? And that only compounds the situation. Has that ever really helped you? By focusing your thoughts on things that you can't control makes matters worse, compounds the issue, builds the frustration and the stress. Uh, I actually sent Chase a, a, a video because he got rid of Instagram. I'm still hooked. So I, I did that thing where you can screenshot it and video the deal. Send it. It's this guy and it says, the headline says, what it looks like when you try to control things you can't control. Yeah, that's what the headline says. And it's this guy standing at the ocean. The waves are coming in, and he's got a mop and a bucket, right? And he's throwing the mop out, and he's doing this, and he's wringing it out as fast as he can and throwing the mop out, right? Isn't that what we do? We try to control things that we can't control, and it's just kind of silly. There are only four things. You probably already know this not breaking news. There's only four things that you can control in life. That's it. No more. Four. Your thoughts, your words, your feelings, and your actions. That's it. You got no more control over anything else. Your thoughts, your words, sometimes it's your body language too, so I'm going to grandfather that one in. Your feelings and your actions. So when it comes to our thoughts, whatever is true, think on these things. Whatever is true. We say this a lot. If you want to change the way you live, you have to change the way you think. We got to think about what we know is true about God. What do we know that we know that we know about God? He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He's unchangeable. He's unshakable. He's unfailing. He's full of forgiveness, kindness, compassionate, compassion, and, and unconditional love. All of those things. Those are true. That's what we've got to think about. Whatever is pure, noble, and right, Paul goes on. Paul's talking about the foundations of the Christian faith, the teachings about God and sin, about Jesus and salvation, about the world and the plan that God has for the world. These are very different things than you're going to find if you go to Barnes and Noble, right? You're not going to find them talking about the big questions of life, like what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of your personal life? Where'd you come from? Where are you going? How should you be spending your time and resources. 
Those are the big things that we ought to be filling our mind with. Maybe an unlikely uh, source to quote on a Sunday morning. Charles Darwin says this, A man who has no assured and ever-present belief in the existence of a personal God or of a future existence with retribution and reward can have for his rule of life, as far as I can see, only to follow those impulses and instincts that are strongest or whatever which seem to him the best ones. That's it. That's the result of not believing in God. Your life will be controlled and managed by your emotions and the strongest impulses. And you know what that's going to look like in life? The Bible tells us you can't trust those emotions. It says the, the heart is deceitful among what? Above what? Above all things. The heart is deceitful, so it can't be trusted. The world tries to, to give us answers and says, you know, just don't think about those, those morbid things. Don't think about death. Don't think about the bad. Don't think about the internal. In fact, there is no eternal. And when the sun dies, that's it. So it doesn't matter anyways. You might as well eat, drink, and be merry. But the problem with that is they're getting their peace through not thinking about the implications of life. Christian peace is the exact opposite. Christian peace says, do think about the fact that there is a God who made us for fellowship with him. He made a world with no sorrow and no death. Then Satan introduced it, so he responded, and he sent his son to do three things. Seek and save the lost. Offer life and life to his fullest and destroy the devil and his work. Amen? So what does that mean for us? It means this, that if you're a Christian and you're not experiencing the peace of God, you're just not thinking right. I don't want to say that in a condemning way. It's just a fact. If you're a Christian who's lacking peace, you're losing the battle within those six inches, right? You just got to think right. See, there's a, there's a smart piece and there's a dumb piece. Dumb piece says, ho, 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 to the bottle I go to heal my heart and drown my woe. Just don't think about those things. Spare your head in the sand. Look the other way. Medicate it. Smart piece says, yeah, no, 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 absolutely think. Don't not think. Think. Think about the big picture. And true peace is the byproduct. Be as thoughtful as possible. One of the ways that we can do this is to ask yourself good questions. This is an important part. I see a few of you taking notes. If you're a note taker, I think this is a big one. Ask yourself good questions because our brain is designed and wired to answer the questions that we ask. So if we ask ourselves bad questions, why, why am I so bad? Why, why do these things always happen to me? then our brain kicks in and automatically starts answering those questions and it has a negative impact on our mindset. On the other hand, if we'll ask questions like, what could I learn from this? What's, what's, what, what could God be teaching me in this? How can I demonstrate gratitude in the midst of this? How would Jesus have me respond in this situation? See, I think the quality of our life is often proportional to the questions we ask ourselves. So let's ask better questions. 
When has he ever let me down? Not when has he ever disappointed you. Okay, I shared this. This is, I've shared this once or twice already, but I was sitting right over here, and I was singing that he'll never let me down. I felt like he had, and so I chose not to sing those words that he'll never let me down because I felt like he'd let me down. And then I got this picture. I don't get pictures. You all get pictures? I don't get pictures, but I saw as this picture of, of somebody holding a young boy, and then he turned like this, and sure enough, it was Jesus holding me as a child. And he's like, that's what I mean, that I'll never let you down. Not that you'll never be disappointed, but I got you. See, Romans 8.28 says that he can use all things, good and bad, to work together for good for those who love him. Do you believe that? To the degree that you believe that, you'll have peace. See, on the day that Jesus was crucified, those close to him, they would have never said, they would have looked at the cross and said, I don't believe there's anything God could do to bring about good out of this situation. And it's the best thing he ever did for humanity. And he's at work in similar ways in the lives of every one of us in this room. I actually like how Tim Keller says this. He's actually kind of speaking on God's behalf here. He says this, when a child of mine makes a request, I give them what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. Isn't that good? If a child of mine makes a request, I give them exactly what they would have asked for if they had all the information I have. Again, to the degree that you believe that, you'll have peace. So thinking correctly leads to peace, no doubt about it. So does thanking. And I think there's probably a right way and a wrong way to do this too. Don't be anxious, but make your request to God with thanksgiving. I want you to notice what it does not say. It does not say, make your request, get your request answered, then give thanks. Not what it says. It says, thank him while you're making your request. No matter how anxious you are in that moment, because Paul knows that we'll never really have true peace until we acknowledge that our life is, is, is in his hands. And we say, thank you for that. Thank him that your house is built on a firm foundation that can withstand an F5 tornado. Your life, your house is hurricane proof. It doesn't mean that the storm isn't coming, but it does mean the house is absolutely going to stand after the storm passes. My favorite passage on gratitude is uh, Luke 17. Jesus is entering this town and 10 lepers stop him. You understand the, the, the disease of leprosy and, you know, it was probably the worst thing that you could have in that day. They were ostracized and outcast. And as they walk in, these 10 lepers say this. They say, they called out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go. Now listen, that's what they were used to hearing. They were used to hearing say, go, get away from me. Get out of here. This time he says, go and show yourself to the priest. What does that mean? People, lepers, lepers who got healed had to go show themselves to the priest. And, and once they were clean, 
They were acknowledged clean and they could go back to normal life. It says this, as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they experienced the peace of God as they obeyed God. Does that make sense? Jesus told them what to do. They said, okay, we'll just do it. He told us to do it. Let's just do it. Why would you not do what Jesus says? And as they went, they were healed. Verse 15, one of them, when they saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. How could you not do it in a loud voice? You've just been ostracized for however long you've had leprosy. You haven't been able to hug your family, be around your family. And now all of a sudden, it's, it's gone in an instant. How could you not go back with a loud voice and say, thank you, Jesus? He fell at his feet. And he was a Samaritan, and Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. One guy goes back. Can you imagine that? I'm sure that the other ten, other nine, were grateful. They just didn't express it. See, peace, peace comes as you go. Peace comes as you trust. I was listening to Jeremy uh, Kubitschek, who wrote this book, I read most of it this week. I did have to skim the last couple to see if there was anything I was going to steal out of here to use for today. What I came to discover is there's way too much good stuff to steal just a little bit. I full, if, if some of you are anxious today and you're like, man, I would love to experience more peace, I'm not getting any royalties out of this. I'm not even getting brownie points. What I'm telling you is this book is freaking good. In fact, Will is Jeremy's son, and he, he was telling me in the back that you shared the peace index with one, one of your friends was, was he taking some, uh, hopefully he's not sitting right next to you. <laughs> I'll tell you the rest of that story later just in case. No, but he's set free from having to take any kind of anxiety medication because the peace of God transcends all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, amen? But anyways, he was talking about his book and he used Psalms uh, 37, fantastic, to kind of give up four, these are four ways that help lead us to peace. The first thing is don't fret, don't fret, don't be afraid. Verse three says trust in the Lord. Verse four says take delight in the Lord. That's what we do in here. Before somebody gets up and talks, it's one of the most important things that we do is just take delight in the Lord. That's what we do on Monday afternoons and Wednesday evenings. And then finally, commit. Commit your ways to the Lord. This is foolproof to have peace. Don't fret. Trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord. You do those things. You do those things. And you'll have peace. Proverbs C says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does the world tell you? Just trust your heart. Do whatever you think is right. 
The Bible says, no, 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 don't trust your heart. Trust God with your heart. In Isaiah 26, 3, this is, this is worth, again, highlighting in your Bible. You, speaking to God, you, God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. That's what Paul's telling us. Fix your mind on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. What do you fix your eyes on? When the storms start to come in, what do you fix your eyes on? Is it just batting down the hatches? What do you fix your eyes on Jesus? Do you run ask your friends for, for advice? And I don't mean godly friends right now because th that's great counsel. But is the first thing to go to somebody else or, or when the storm comes is the first thing to go there? Only one minute back. Again, I said the other nine, they had to have been grateful. Their lives were just changed. But they were just generally grateful. They weren't specifically grateful. Do you fall into that temptation? I'm just thankful for my life. I'm thankful, I'm thankful for this. I've got, I've got a cush life. Or are you thankful to him for everything that he has provided for you? There's not one thing you have, including the breath you just took, that wasn't a gift from him. And do you thank him specifically? Do you direct your attention? Do you fix your eyes on him? Because you will get perfect peace, Isaiah reminds us. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, gratitude and ingratitude are relationally determinative. What the heck does that mean? It means that we move closer in intimacy with people to whom we're grateful for and who, are great, who show gratitude towards us. Does that make sense? So, so, so the more grateful we are, the more intimate the relationship is, no doubt. So what I think that means is that our accidental ingratitude actually undermines our faith. Our accidental ingratitude undermines our faith. And so if we'll be extravagant with our gratitude, peace will come because what, what, did, uh, what did Jesus say? Your faith has made you well. Move first in expressing gratitude. Don't let it undermine your faith. But I just, our family here at Skyline, we've got to be described as the one. Not the other nine who got busy. Not the other nine who are so grateful that their lives have changed, that they just go on about it. But can we be the one that turns back, pauses on a daily, weekly basis, and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that we have in the midst of the storm. With thanksgiving, present your requests. So in summary, peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of God. Peace is not contingent on any external circumstances. We will face difficulty along the way, but we're sustained by the hope that even in those difficult times, God is at work bringing about something good for those that love him. So the band comes back up. Share with you one of my favorite quotes from Dallas Willard. He says this, he says, irredeemable harm 
does not befall those who willingly live in the hands of God. You hear that? Irredeemable harm does not happen. It doesn't mean that harm may not happen, but even the harm can be redeemed and used by God. In this world, in this life, we live at the intersection of reality and hope. And so I'll leave you with this. In this intersection, this is the quote you got to base your life. I saved the best for last. This is the best quote I could come up with on peace. I have told you these things so that in me, Jesus says, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, exclamation point. I have overcome the world. Father, would you help us to get our minds right? We know the battle is often won and lost between our ears, and it's the devil's playground. Father, would you remind us today, we are not our thoughts. We're not our thoughts. We can take control of our thoughts. We can make them captive and and make them obedient to you, Father. And as we do this, a flood of peace just comes into our life and our mind and our hearts and our soul. Father, during this last song, as we sing praises to you again, we offer them up with thanksgiving. Thank you for all you have done. Thank you for the breath. Thank you for the ability to say thank you. Thank you for our families, for our homes, for our cars and our kids, for our jobs, for our friends, for this city. Even in the midst of hardships and heartbreak, you have spoiled us and we say thank you. Would you all stand? We're going to sing. And before you sing, maybe it's still with eyes closed. Maybe just a little exercise. If you felt anxious when you were, this may not be everybody, but if you felt anxious or anxiety or stress, would you just, would you just breathe out the stress? Name it. Worry. Somebody's name that you're worried about. Business deal, whatever. Would you just breathe that out and would you inhale the peace of God? Just tell yourself, I'm inhaling the peace of God. And in so it will transcend all human thoughts and understanding. Breathe out anxiety. Breathe in his peace. Breathe out anxiety and in his peace. That is his offer today and every day.